The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests, and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. Check, check, check. This is Dion. Stop speaking, man. You're rusting the microphone. Hey, Tower for Rickard 4693. Looking off to the left, right here over at Alpha One. Looks like there's a lizard that's about to be on the day. Rickard uh, 4693, it's uh, north of your position. Hey, firm, yeah, north, uh, just Alpha One, uh, right there. Right the edge here at 10 left, it's to the right of us. It's a lizard or a iguana? Uh, I guess an iguana. I don't know. He's kind of, he's like almost in the middle of the taxi right now. Breakdown 4693, does the uh, citation off your right have room to get by? Uh, yeah, I think that lizard is the reason why they're not moving, though. It's right in the middle of Alpha 1. Okay, thank you. Very cool. guess if I had to guess what it was. All right, thank you. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 109 of the Squawk Ident podcast recorded on the 17th of May, 2022 from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's flight, we're joined by Rob D., Together, we will discuss how legislation will be passed very soon that will make the mandatory retirement age at 121 airlines across the country as high as 67 years. Also incorporate a 750-hour minimum for an ATP. We'll talk about that, and we'll discuss the last time this happened back in January of 2007 when the age 60 rule was extended to 65. What does that mean to you and your career? We'll also discuss how United Airlines and its pilots signed an AIP or an agreement in principle. What does that mean to the rest of us out here out on the flight line? We'll talk about Scott Kirby, cancer risks among aviators, and winglets, and why do they keep falling off airplanes? All this and more on this episode of the Squawk Ident Podcast. So stay with us as we run our final checks and prepare to push off the gate. Flight 109 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. Well, joining us today is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident co-host. He is a former international professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G club at AMB and Avionics Tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus pilot for Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Joining us from his second day of his three-day trip from the ninth floor of the Lowe's Hotel in the beautiful city of Chicago, Illinois. Help us in welcoming our very own Mr. Rob D. Rob, how are you doing? Hey, buddy. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing okay. It's been kind of crazy. We were talking about our schedules, and it just seems like we're barely coming up for air, doesn't it? Oh man, dude, it, 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 it does. I'm exhausted right now. And, uh, I know a lot of our fellow aviators are out there making it happen and they're just as exhausted as we are. The, uh, the, uh, schedules are, are, uh, are crazy right now. Flights are full and, um, 
you know, we're, we're finally, I believe at that point where they said, you know, there are people have the itch to fly after the post COVID thing. And here we are, we're right deep in it. So, yeah. um, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy out there, but it's fun. I'm glad, I'm glad it is a good problem. I'm not complaining. I'm just, I need a couple of days off. <laughs> yeah. If you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Catch sure. my breath for sure. <laughs> Pent up demand. I think that's the term that they use. Pent up demand. That's the Pent word I was demand. looking for. Yeah. 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 I've noticed that. Um, I've actually only flown one trip since um, the last podcast. <laughs> um, Have you? Yeah. yeah uh, I, funny thing, uh, we recorded that fantastic show with Adelia. Uh, I want to say thank you yeah, was a good to one. Captain Adelia uh, to sh- for sharing her story with us. She's also been promoting uh, that episode out on social media. And God, I love to see that, yeah. you know, um, everything, yeah. everything yeah. that people And I do. told her story to a couple of my friends and, and they, you know, my buddies have daughters and uh, they were just blown away at, you know, number one, you know, how, how you know, the things she had, a, the, the hoops she had to jump through just to get to, you know, just to get to, uh, you know, flight school, let alone yeah. get to, an, you know, a 121 carrier, a chief pilot, legacy airlines, you know, it's crazy. And so, you know, I, my hat's off to her, man. What, a, what an amazing, uh, amazing perseverance and, yeah. you know, just an awesome pilot. So awesome. Yeah. And I too, I mean, when we were interviewing her, I mean, I was just floored hearing about her journey and, and all of, I mean, she's very humble. She doesn't really yeah, sit there definitely. and make a big deal about it, but man, she has had some, some hurdles thrown her away and a lot of, yeah. you know, I don't want to say the word discrimination, but, uh, that's well, exactly what it is. That's exactly what it was, you know? Yeah. And, and we have to break away from that. I mean, we're, yeah. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The minute you pin wings on your shirt, your lapel, whatever, you know, piece of uniform, uh, you have that pilot's license in your back pocket. You're part of a elite club of individuals that have the maturity, the professionalism and the education to be able to think in three dimensions and have the knowledge to fly airplanes. And once you make it at this level in the game that you and I are very fortunate to be in, I mean, mad respect to all aviators out there. Definitely. Well said. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we were, I was kind of mentioning there that I haven't been flying much. I only flew one trip. We recorded that, uh, episode 108 and I started to, you know, wrap up the show, doing a lot of, uh, the post file transfers and make sure I get everything saved onto the computer and, and, uh, you know, ready for editing. And I was speaking with the family who I had sent out to Albuquerque a week before to go spend time with um, mom and dad, you know, and, uh, they're like, I know you said you were going to come out, uh, day after tomorrow, but why don't you just get in the car, drive halfway tonight? <laughs> so like they wanted me to go out. Early. Drive halfway. <laughs> I was like, oh, you want me to drive tonight after? Okay. So I started looking at like, did I, do I have enough ready to go? And yeah, I did. So I packed up all my stuff, all my gear and packed the bag, loaded the car up and drove from the Southern California area to Williams, Arizona. Uh, it took about six hours. Mm, I know exactly where that is. Yeah. Beautiful town. I-40. 
Yep, just I-40. west of Flagstaff. Yep, mm-hmm. it's the gateway to the South Rim of the Grand Canyon. It's a great little town. That's right, Grand Canyon Railway. Grand there. Canyon Railroad. Yep, yep, yep. So I went there, spent there the night, is. grabbed a a decent dinner, and uh, next morning got up pretty early. And uh, rest of the leg was another six hours, and I got into Albuquerque around ten a.m. just in time for some. Sopapillas and some uh, breakfast, some huevos oh. rancheros, and oh, come on, right? Wow. So got to That's do awesome. some- Well worth the drive. Some family time. Yeah. Uh, mm. oh, picked up a, a screw in the tire. Of course, it was on the corner of the tread where the tread meets oh, the sidewall. No. And I noticed it as I was pulling in, and I pulled into the gas station on one of the, one of the many gas station stops- <laughs> Ouch! That I stopped. I stopped at on the way there. Oh yeah. Um, the FJ what was gets the, about the uh, most expensive uh, gallon of gas you bought. Uh, well, I was pretty. Do you remember? Pretty cognizant, but I think five dollars and ninety-five cents. I think it was. Oh man! I, I remember saying that. Jesus, almost six dollars. Um, and of course, I tried Shit. to do my best to to gas up in Arizona. And in New Mexico, uh, yeah, where it's cheaper. you know, where it's cheaper and not right at the border because that's where everybody, you know. Not in California. No, I try to avoid <laughs> that. Um, and in California, I stop at Costco. So, uh, you know, it's not too, not too oh, painful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 20 miles per <laughs> the gallon. I, I stopped. I only had, I think, about two and a half, three hours left in the drive. And I look right there in the tire. There's this probably four-inch screw hanging out. I thought, oh, God, I'm in the middle of nowhere. These are not tires oh, that you know they they readily stock. They're off road tires. <laughs> yeah, so, stock on the shelf. Yeah, exactly. So um, <laughs> I, I pulled the screw out with the with a screwdriver and put some of that uh, washer fluid on it, see if it had any bubbles coming out, and it did. And I thought, oh boy. So I uh, pulled up and parked in front of the little uh, quick and go stop. Mart, whatever, and got a can of fix the flat. And uh, <laughs> I hate that stuff, but I put it in there <laughs> and, uh, you know, spun the tire yeah. a couple times and, uh, and tested it. And sure enough, it, it held. Um, I think what had happened was oh, as good. I was pulling into the gas station, I probably just picked up this screw and it kind of got in there just enough to make a tiny little pressure prick there and Mm-hmm. And, and create a little havoc and thank goodness i noticed it because if i would have kept driving on the freeway with it i probably would have ended up with a flat but yeah made it the whole oh, way and yeah. spent a couple of days in albuquerque and then we drove back here uh to southern california uh, with the in-laws in tow and in two vehicles we caravaned it did the same thing just in reverse order you know williams uh, arizona and then I came back, yeah. spent a couple of days here, and then uh, I did a trip. Uh, and it was a, uh, a San Francisco layover and a Denver layover. And the very first leg was Ontario to, to Dallas. Everything went off without a hitch. As we were starting our initial briefing for our approach and arrival into to DFW, we got an ACARS message. The automated crew, what, what's ACARS? Automated Clue Alerting System, something like that. So off the printer came a message from, yeah. not dispatch. Crew and reporting system. That's it, thank you. So not dispatch, but crew scheduling. Letting first officer, hmm. Aviator Tony, know that he will no longer be going to San Francisco <laughs> for the layover. <laughs> he will now be going to Fort Myers. 
not the captain, just the FO. So I ended up, you know, hopping on a train and, and DFW and, and going over to the new gate. It was a relatively short turn time. I get there and uh, the, they did an aircraft swap at the last second. And so what that meant was the captain and two of the other flight attendants were already on the original airplane at the original gate. But because after I landed, when I checked my phone after I departed the jet bridge, uh, it said the new gate with a new airplane. I had not realized that they had done this aircraft swap. So I get there, you know, all the passengers are standing there and uh, some are trickling over, running. And I'm thinking, what's mm-hmm. going on? And the gate agent goes, oh, yeah, we did an aircraft swap. I'm like, oh, okay, so the captain will be here soon, I take it. I'm like, yeah, you're the first one here. I'm like, oh, okay. So I go do the pre-flight walk around, and, and I notice that there's an, an AML entry with an MEL issuance. And the MEL was APU generator in up. Oh, yeah. Just so, had that myself. Yeah. So what does that mean? For those that are listening, I go, first off, what's an APU? The auxiliary power unit. So when the aircraft is connected to the jet bridge, the jet bridge itself has a power supply for the aircraft. And so it's ground power or ground power unit, GPU. Uh, the ground power unit's plugged into the aircraft. It's the big black cable that is usually plugged in under the nose or on the, on the left side of the fuselage near the jet bridge on some of the regional jets. And that supplies the necessary power for that aircraft so that all the systems can be powered up and online. There's also what they call the PCA or the preconditioned air, which is the big yellow tube, flexible tube, looks like a big dryer hose and that's usually connected to the aircraft to supply uh, cool air or warm air, depending on the weather conditions outside, so that the airplane stays relatively cool. Now, this is also very crucial for the avionics because a cockpit will get very warm very fast if it doesn't have yeah. air-conditioned or preconditioned air feeding the, the air supply into the avionics chamber to keep everything cool. Everything will get real hot real fast. And when your auxiliary power unit, which is the, the, ge- the little turbine engine that's in the tail of the fuselage that has a generator connected to it. Now, that auxiliary power unit is basically a turbine engine, and it supplies both pneumatic air and electrical power to the aircraft so that if it's not connected to the ground power unit or the PCA, you can have air and power on the aircraft. Right. When the APU is not working and the MEL it, meaning that it's okay to go for so many cycles or so many days until they get around to fixing it, then your starting of the engines has to be done in a non-standard way with what they call either an external air cart or a huffer cart where they have a this giant like air compressor generator that they bring over on a tug and they hook up a smaller flexible hose to <laughs> some port somewhere on the airplane or on the engine nacelle. And it, it's a whole checklist that we have to go through to make sure that there's no danger to both people on the ground and the aircraft uh, when they're connecting these hoses. Uh, so we had to go through all this procedure. Of yep. course, after 
an aircraft swap at the last second, passengers trickling in from another gate, having to take a train in Dallas to go from one terminal to the next. Suffice to say, we did not leave on time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, we got everything coordinated within about 15 minutes of our original departure time. But we didn't leave 15 minutes after our original departure time. We left two mm-hmm. hours after our original departure time. So what happened to that hour and 45 minutes of an additional delay? We weren't catered. Uh-oh. Wow. So big deal. Yeah. Well, no, it yeah. is a big deal because we didn't have any water bottles. And you can't go. For the hot airplane. <laughs> hot airplane. Yeah. Uh, everyone's ready to go. They got a huffer cart connected. We're written, ready to just lock it up and shut the doors. But we can't because... Yeah. We didn't have water, we didn't have snacks, we didn't have the first class meals, yeah. we didn't have everything. So And where were you headed again? And this was DFW to Fort Myers. Oh, long flight. Exactly. Yeah, you gotta have all that stuff. Gotta have it. Yeah. So, you know, we got everybody involved. Call operations, call the whatever, the catering supervisor, you know, everybody. Well, what happened was someone over at Legacy Airlines in the aircraft coordinator desk decided, hey, we need to swap some airplanes around. Uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and do that. And to, to get us to get out of here on time and not have these delays. But what happens is it looks good on paper, but then when you realize that, okay, what about the bags and the catering and the fueling and all the yeah. services and the cabin cleaning? Yeah, the logistics that go along that with it. It takes yeah. hours sometimes to coordinate. Yeah. And that's why we left an hour and 45 minutes late. It's because in an effort for whatever reason. Now the captain showed up, he introduced himself because obviously it was a new captain for me. And then I said to the captain, I bet you I know why we swapped. And he goes, you do? I said, well, let's see. You were on a perfectly good airplane that was here on time, that was functioning properly. He goes, yeah, because I, I didn't understand why I got a notification. I had my nests all set up in the cockpit. I didn't get it. I'm like, well, probably what happened was the crew that originally was supposed to take this aircraft out complained, said, no, I'm not taking an aircraft without an APU working. And uh-huh. the coordinator tried to say, well, we'll find you another airplane. And that flight was leaving around the same time this flight was leaving so they mm. probably just went oh I'll, I'll go ahead and swap you captain because they don't want the captain yeah. to refuse to fly so we ended <laughs> right. up with the <laughs> the broke the broke airplane, airplane. <laughs> oh man that's how my trip started yesterday it was uh one leg to atlanta so dfw to atlanta and uh show time was 7 a.m for an 8 8 a.m departure so uh I sign in, look at the, uh, the information and find out that the airplane's going to be like 10 minutes late. It wasn't going to pull into the gate till like seven ten, and it's a three twenty one, So, you know, close to 200 passengers on there or whatever need to, you know, be deplaned and everything. Right. So, um, there I am 7am, nobody's here. Then next thing you know, you see three suits with safety vests show up of course on the back it says manager right and uh so i'm like you know they say hi to me i'm like hi i'm like oh what's going on why do we have three managers here you know me being nosy 
And they're like, oh, this plane is late, and uh, we just want to make sure it gets out on time. And I said, well, if it's late, it's going to be late again. <laughs> <It's not> gonna... <laughs> just because three vests show up doesn't mean it's going to go out on time. I mean, you know, do you think, I, I said, do you think we do things slowly every day? I think we're at maximum speed every turn. You know, we're, I mean, of course, I'm having just a joking, uh, casual, light conversation with them. But I was like, I, I don't think managers showing up to the gate is going to make things go any faster. Well, <laughs> and then I said, besides, this airplane has a broken APU. That's the reason why it's late. And I said, no matter how much, you know, you do, you know, it's, it's not going to get out at eight o'clock. Yeah which is a scheduled departure time. And so we could try, but was I'm not going to make any promises to you. Was it a so right they, start flight or a kickoff flight or? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they, they, uh, pulled into the gate and of course, five wheelchairs, <laughs> you know, the thing they, it, it takes them literally 20 minutes just to get everybody off the airplane. And, um, so, you know, there's, and then catering, uh, catering and, and, uh, the cabin cleaners haven't showed up yet. So by then, you know, the airplane's been sitting on the ground for 20, uh, almost 30 minutes now. And they, you know, they got the, uh, PCA hooked up, which is what you talked about the precondition there. Mm-hmm. And it's not doing any good. It's already 85, 90 to 85 degrees in the morning, you know, wow. in Dallas and, with all that body heat in there, you know, just the temperature in the cabin was already at like 84 degrees mm. they, and you can't cool the airplane down. Cause they got, you know, the cargo doors open. They got the, the uh, catering doors open in the front of the back of the airplane. It's just all the hit, all the cold air that's in the airplane is going out and all that hot air is just making its way in there. So anyway, long story short, you know, we, we, we get everybody boarded up and we're about, 10 to 15, 10 minutes late from pushing. So, which is, we actually did pretty good, but you know, they still had to put all the bags down, put all the check bags below. So that took like an extra five to 10 minutes for them to do all that. Yeah. Then finally, when we got our start clearance, you know, it's like eight twenty, eight twenty-five. 825, mm-hmm. you know? So I was like, yeah, you, you guys, it's not going to, get off on time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the so. company, especially when like, if it's an inbound flight that's coming in late and an outbound flight, you know, you have your, your minimum turn time and mm. every company has a different number. I know Southwest turn times are what, 15 minutes. I mean, it's freaking ridiculous. Something crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we have like 35, 30, 35 minutes. And I think it's like a 45 or an hour if it's in base or something like that. So, and don't quote me on that, but you know, it's, it's definitely, there's a minimum time. Now, if you're flying the airplane in, you keep the same crew, you deplane, they clean the airplane, you fuel up and you do a pre-flight walk around and then you hop back in and your nest is already set up. Yeah, no problem. But when you're deplaning, now you have maybe a, a write-up that you have to put in the book, contact maintenance, coordinate it, make sure it's documented mm. appropriately. Now you, you know, go out and you got to take a train. Uh, to another terminal and you go to that terminal and of course you take your your mandatory biological pit stop 
hit the hit the lab. <laughs> That's right. And then okay, yeah. so maybe maybe they didn't feed you, and you're it's been two or three or four hours since you ate last, so you want to pick up a bite if you don't have something with you. And yeah. so now you end up at the airplane, and same thing, you know, it's you got to do the pre-flight, you got to do all this stuff. Sometimes those minimum turn times are quite ridiculous. In your situation, you yeah. had the airplane coming in from a late bound. The only thing I can guess that the managers were all there is that it was trending late. And an air, if yeah. a flight trends late for over a period of like 30 days, then they monitor it. And they have managers yeah. there to monitor to see why is this yeah. airplane consistently late every single day? Why is this, this particular flight number late? And so they're doing, a, it sounded like they were there to monitor and they can try to make adjustments like, okay, well, maybe the catering is the one that held it up or maybe it was fueling yeah. that held it up. And then they'll document that and submit a report and they'll go, okay, in the last 30 days, we had 20 late departures that were, you know, departure plus anything more than zero. Yeah. And, and yeah. then they can document that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, they, they kept uh, wanting to send down the passengers right away. And the captain's like, no, negative. Cleaners haven't even started cleaning the airplane. Catering hasn't even catered the airplane. And you're going to send them down right away, and we're only going to hold we're going to hold them on the jet bridge because I can't get into the airplane. Which is, and now you're just going to stack people up on a hot jet bridge, which that air conditioning isn't working very well either. Right. He's like, no, absolutely not. When the glass caterer gets off, you can send them down. That's an only a, a time difference of maybe thirty to forty five seconds. You know, from the time the caterers get off till you can actually start sending them down. People sit on. You're not going to save any time by stacking people up in the jet bridge yeah exactly already pissing them off yeah and and, and they're yeah. skipping a, a a mandatory step as a gate agent their their procedures dictate that they are supposed to walk down the jet bridge do a visual inspection to make sure that the cabin cleaning and cabin services are complete make sure that the mm -hmm. flight attendants don't need anything prior to departure and that they're ready for boarding and they're supposed yeah. to, the flight attendants are the ones that are, the, the number one flight attendant or the purser is supposed to tell the gate agent, yes, we're ready for boarding. And then they go up the top of the jet bridge and start the process. Yeah. But in this, you know, race to efficiency that every airline could go, 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 go. In a perfect world, it might work. But the minute a wrench is thrown in the system, the dominoes will fall and it'll create this domino effect of lateness and tardiness and so what they do is they go okay i'll send them down in five minutes but you didn't yeah. do your job you didn't well i don't know you have to walk down the jet bridge to every single flight you know i do like 20 flights at, in a shift it's like well hey <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do so yeah. kudos to your captain for uh, for doing that yeah yep so we're talking about you know how hot the aircraft and the cabin and the jet bridge can be. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable, especially if your mm -hmm. APU is not working because the APU is going to power the the packs or the the heating and air conditioning system uh, very well. And the PCA sometimes, you know, it's not it's not much coming out of there. It's blowing kind of like outside air yeah. temperature. And Some it, are it better gets, than others. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of stagnant. Now, in our operations manual. Uh, it says in there 
that a comfortable cabin temperature must be maintained, and if it's not comfortable, the captain must coordinate deplaning of all passengers with the same urgency as if a three- or four-hour tarmac limitation is being achieved. Yeah. So, I mean, they're really pushing to have a comfortable cabin. I know they're somewhere in our manuals in the thousands and thousands and pages that it it represents <laughs> it does have a number in there i don't know if it was 90 degrees or 80 degrees i think if the cabin is yeah. more than 80 degrees you're not supposed it was to, 80 yeah you're supposed to hold off boarding until yeah uh, and actually that that does now you kind of triggered uh some memory to yesterday's event so we did actually had the inbound flight actually did have a maintenance write-up and it was nothing major it was just to replace an oxygen bottle that they had used. Mm. And so maintenance had taken the logbook and also replaced, you know, the oxygen bottle. So we were actually boarded up, ready to go, and we didn't have the logbooks. So the temperature was creeping up. It was starting to read like 84, 85. And the captain was like, we don't have the logbooks here in the next, I'm um, hacking the clock, two minutes, we're deplaning. Oh, because good. if you can't tell me where these logbooks are, we're not going to sit here and guess and wait. And he's like, all right, hold on, stand by. And the next thing you know, the guy shows up. Yeah. So thankfully, that's what happened. But Was he down there? Uh, did he show up with the logbook and a cup of coffee and a donut? What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> no, but that's, the, that's one of my pet peeves is, you know, obviously those guys are trying to do the best they can. And, and a lot of, nine times out of 10, those maintenance guys are the best guys they, oh, yeah. they're out there, you know, and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus or talk bad about them. Well, a lot of times those guys aren't very good at communicating. You know, they, right, they, yeah. they don't, it's not their, not the way they operate, you know? So if they have something that needs to be done or, or fixed, you know, they probably in their mind know exactly how long it's going to take or what they need to do but they're not very good at communicating that to the crew so that we can, you know, kind of put a, a mental timeline to what's going on yeah. so that if anything happens or we need to tell anybody like ops or, or passengers or flight attendants or just us for planning purposes, right. You know, you know, we can do that. And, you know, that's one of my biggest pet peeves is sometimes, you know, all right, I need the logbook. I need to go get the reference, you know, I'll be back. Right. I'll be back. You know, if I don't hear from you in what, five minutes, should I start getting concerned? <laughs> you know, give me a timeline, you know? Yeah. And I don't want to rush you, but I want to know. <laughs> right. At least keep us in the loop. Yeah. It's, it's tough that's, when they're gone for 30 thing. minutes and you don't know what to tell your passengers and you're, you're yeah. like, well. And that's the biggest thing. You know. It's communication. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah, really. Lie to me. Tell me something. I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> okay. Damn you, uh, it! Is it going to take break? you that long? <laughs> now, most but of shit, our tell me something, and then if they show back up in thirty minutes, you know, I'll be surprised. Like, wow, I thought that was going to take an hour. Or no, it took thirty minutes. Cool, dude. Thanks. We're yeah. out of here. Yeah, exactly. Communication is key, and that comes with experience. Yeah. You know, experience yep. in this industry is so valuable, and we often yeah. we often kind of scoff at, oh, you know, these guys need to just retire. Yeah, you know, they're 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 getting too old. I'm carrying this old man around. You know, he's he's forgotten more than I've known. Sure, but you know. Yeah. Speaking of retirement, uh, and everybody in the industry has been kind of 
preaching this subject here lately. I, we were talking about it yeah. on my last trip. Is uh, this leak that came out uh, through an article by Ben Schlapping from May 13th <laughs> of 2022 from uh, One Mile at a Time. The article reads, Airline pilots' retirement age could be raised to 67. Now, we've been talking about this a long time. Uh, the rumors have been there that the FAA was doing internal and external investigations to find out if it's plausible. We've heard rumors how uh, some other countries have toyed with this. I think, was it Japan that uh, has come up with yeah, something? Yeah, I'm not not sure. One of those, yeah. I'm yeah. not sure exactly. Some other country has raised their airline retirement age. But I do also know that uh, there was a lot of pushback from the uh, European uh, agency yeah. there. And so, you know, it's been rumors, oh, we're not going to see it, we're not going to see it. Well, it was kind of a big deal because it really yeah. changes the course of this career field for many, many aviators when these kind of things happen. Well, this yeah. article goes on to say that we're dealing with a major pilot shortage in the United States. While regional airlines are most impacted by this, the reality is that the implications go way beyond that. There are different solutions being proposed to help with the pilot shortage. For example, a major regional airline is asking the FAA to lower the minimum number of hours for airline pilots from 1,500 to 750, which seems logical. It looks like we could soon see another solution to the issue in the form of pilot retirement age being increased. Republican South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham is allegedly working on a rather sensible bill that would see the commercial airline pilot retirement age raised by two years, from 65 to 67. According to Airline Weekly, Graham is in the process of trying to build support for this legislation. This would be the second time in recent years that pilot retirement age is raised. Back in 2007, a commercial airline pilot retirement age in the United States was raised from 60 to 67. That not only reflected that people are generally living longer, but it was also at a time when airlines were on the brink of liquidation, and many pilots lost some of their pensions and took huge pay cuts during bankruptcy proceedings. So the extra five years was almost intended as a way for them to earn back some of the money lost. Now, yeah. you know, we were all, you and I were affected by this, the age we of 60 were. to 65. Yeah. We were first yeah. officers and uh, that whole process uh, happened like about a year after yeah. you got hired, right? You got uh, that was or? 2007, so Couple yeah, I was hired in 05, so two, yeah. But just imagine if you were turn, had just turned 61 the day before that legislation took into effect. Right. right. Right? Or you turned 60 on the day that that legislation took into effect. You were yeah. getting ready to retire. Guess what? You have five more years to go. Right. And if you were like you and I <laughs> sitting there in the lower ranks thinking, all right, I'm going to upgrade soon. You're going to turn 60. All these guys are going to retire. And next thing you know, they delay retirement by five years. Guess what folks? They just delayed your upgrade by five years. Yeah. Yeah. This is serious stuff. I mean, 
60 to 67, it's only two years. But does this really solve anything? I mean, it's a it sounds like it's a Band-Aid. You're just kicking the can down the road. The real problem, you know, they, you know the, 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 the buzz term is pilot shortage. Well, if you're short pilots, that doesn't mean you should keep the guys that are getting ready to retire from retiring, you know, make them fly longer. The problem is, is you don't have anybody coming in to do the job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my theory is why change the retirement age to 67? Why don't you change the age at when you can get an ATP? It's 23 years old now, right? What, right. Why can't you go down to 21? Right. Well, I'm sure there and are change the hours. plenty of studies that they can show you from the 60s and 70s. You have younger and you have healthier guys who are not going to require you know, crazy medicals as if you were later on in your life, like, yeah. I mean, obviously if you're going to 65 or 67, you're healthy and you're healthy to fly. But how healthy is that compared to a 21 year old whippersnapper who's, <laughs> you know, ready to go. <laughs> right. And it, and it depends <laughs> you know, on who you ask too, because, you know, you ask some captains yeah. and they're like, oh yeah, I'll continue to fly. Yeah. No problem. I got uh, four well, alimonies to pay, no problem. Um, and then yeah. you talk to others, yeah. and they're like, I'm not even waiting until 65. I'm out of here I know. when I'm 63 I know. or whatever. And I think that should be an option, you know, for yeah. 65 to 67. I guess it is an option now. You can retire anytime you want. It's just a matter of when, you know, you want to access your funds and, you know, all that stuff that you have saved away. But, you know, changing the mandatory retirement from 65 to 67 isn't solving the original problem, which is called, they're calling it a pilot shortage. Yeah. You have to have people coming into the industry to fix that problem. Yeah. And people coming leaving at the top, isn't going to solve, solve that. Finding ways and creative solutions to add the number of pilots to the ranks of us air tr- uh, ATP standard certified pilots is the answer to make this job more enticing, not making people work longer or more years. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't make this job more enticing to come to. Yeah. And and we are seeing that we are seeing that with, you know, some of the, the bonuses and pay incentives that some of the regional airlines are doing, um, in order to get people now, but again, quite lucrative. All of this is within the airline industry. You have to be at minimum someone interested in aviation in order to have this knowledge that things are getting better uh, for pay and compensation and work rules Mm -hmm. and all that. But if you're not in the aviation industry, you know, most how many of us have friends that ask us, well, what's your route like? Yeah. Uh, I have no clue. Don't you get paid like 300 bucks an hour? You know, it's like, yeah. Uh, no, no, uh, <laughs> I don't have a route. Uh, do they let you land the airplane? I mean, th- there's so yeah. <laughs> many out there that don't It's all on know. autopilot, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, just, you try pushing that takeoff and land buttons. Those are hard buttons to push. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Southwest Airline Pilots Association, or SWAPA, has already sent out a survey to its members asking them to get their feedback on the potential retirement age increase. Uh, often unions will quickly try to strike down change, but that doesn't seem to be the tone there. So, is they you know is that a, a positive thing for them? 
we could soon see yeah. this legislation pass. I mean, that's what happened last time. We were like, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then overnight, yeah. uh, it seemed like it did. Um, yeah. And, you know, while this wouldn't entirely solve the pilot shortage, letting pilots have longer careers would definitely help. And I think, as we were just discussing, having the option, if you're a healthy, uh, you know, articulate individual with, you know, good brain chemistry that at age 67, you're just as sharp as you were at 60 or 65, then why not if you want to fly? But it shouldn't be, uh, well, you got to fly till 67 to get benefits or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see yep. what happens. Interesting. Yeah. Now, definitely, uh, definitely something that to, to track because this could definitely cause a lot of contention between, you know, unions and management and legislation yeah. and all that stuff. It's, it's already a contentious issue. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the people that don't like it are the young pilots like <laughs> yourself and I. Oh, totally. Um, that, I know. You know, we don't, we don't want to have a stagnated career here. We, we want to be able to move upward yeah. and onward and move up, you know, make, get yeah. the better schedule, get the fourth bar on your Yes, yeah. Because a lot of us believe that this is a self-induced problem. Look, we just went through a pandemic. We just offered how many early outs to people? How yeah. many people did we just offer these early outs to? And that within the last two years, and, and now... And, and now, all of a sudden, we need pilots. We just let these guys go. We're still paying them 50% of their salary to sit at home until they retire. Yeah. Where's the pilot shortage? It's self-induced. Yeah, it really You don't is. have to change the age. You know, the, I'm serious, dude. Yeah, the incentive that we... we that our company and, and some of the other major companies were toying around with at the beginning of the pandemic was retire early and we'll pay you half your annual salary until you age the 65 or age out. And keep every benefit that you have. Travel other than benefits, having, yeah. medical benefits, all that stuff. Um, yeah. It's, it's self-induced, I'm telling you. It, it's, and if they have the money so to many... do that, then they do have the money to give us a fair an equitable pilot contract that is industry right. leading. That's how you get Which people Which will to attract pilots. Exactly. exactly. You get more ants with sugar than you do with vinegar or yep. however that phrase goes. Yep. I have no idea. So this happened yep. before, back in, uh, in 2007. We talked about it when, when you and I were new hires and, and we saw a lot of stagnation. We didn't upgrade as quickly as we had hoped. Um, uh, you know, we had issues yep. that were pre-existing. We had the 9-11, the lost decade. We had a lot of stagnation. Yeah. I believe the day I was hired at Sandpiper, they told me it was a 14-year upgrade. You were going to be in a, you can expect to be an FO for 14 years. Now, obviously, it didn't take that long. It, it took less than half that for me to upgrade there. But uh, it was definitely a problem. And then they, in the middle of it, they raised the retirement age to five years from 60 to 65. Now, yeah, it had been... Jump. It had been a uh, half a century that the industry was talking about doing this, and then President Bush signed a bill in January of 2007 that raised the retirement age for commercial pilots to 65 from 60, a standard observed by the rest of the world. So pilots say that the new law 
reflects the reality that today's 60-year-olds are physically fit enough to continue flying and experience shouldn't be taken out of the cockpit. Mm. So we're hearing the same argument that we heard 13 years ago. Yeah, 13 years ago. Yep. And guess what? We're still in a pilot shortage. Yeah. So, like you because said, because they haven't really solved the real issue, which is a good contract, a fair, you know, compensation package that would attract, uh, you know, attract and, and retain, you know, aviators. Yeah. It, uh, it's simple as that. Absolutely. And speaking of, you know, we've been talking about, you know, picketing, informational picketing. Uh, I believe it was uh, two shows ago we were talking about um, how we're under the Railway Labor Act. And so we can't just go out there and strike. We have to have these uh, approved uh, by a judge that we're able to have cool down periods before we can get to that point. And then either the company arbitration, the company or the or the union groups can then, um, you know, make some pretty serious action by striking. Well, we're all under contract. It seems like we're all under contract negotiation. Well, United reached a new contract deal with its pilots union. It's the first of the major airlines in the pandemic to do this. They reached an AIP or agreement in principle. This, according to a CNBC article, I'll put a link in the show notes. It was written by Leslie Josephs and it was uh, published on May 13th of 2022. It says that United Pilots and its Pilots Labor Union have reached an agreement on new contract terms, the first of the major carriers to strike a deal since the start of the COVID pandemic. The crisis rolled the industry and exacerbated. God, that sounds like That's a dirty. tough word. <laughs> exacerbated. Right, never mind say. Yeah. Exacerbated. A pilot shortage <laughs> and training backlog. The Airline yeah. Pilots Association and United didn't disclose the terms of the deal on Friday, but they will likely include higher pay and other improvements. United has had perhaps the least contentious relationship with its pilots union of the major carriers and struck early deals during the pandemic to keep aviators on staffed and trained. United Airlines was the only airline to work with our pilot union to reach an agreement during COVID, CEO Scott Kirby said in a LinkedIn post. A LinkedIn post. We'll get back to that. It's not surprising that we are now the first airline to get an agreement in principle for an industry-leading new pilot contract, he said. The agreement still faces a vote by the union and later by the pilots. So it's not a done deal. It still needs to go through all the steps. Delta Airlines, Southwest Airlines, and American Airlines are still in negotiations with their pilots' unions and have organized pickets in recent months to protest grueling schedules. United isn't immune to the pilot shortage. The Chicago-based airline, like other carriers, has to had to cut back on routes and park planes because of shortage of pilots who fly to the smaller regional carriers that feed its network. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, I I do know some of the details on that just from reading some of our social meds and it's, uh, you're right. It is an industry leading contract, and it's definitely we should be excited here at Legacy um, that Delta has signed this, or, or at least has this agreement in principle. 
I'm sorry, that United has this agreement in principle because some of the gains that they have uh, agreed to are pretty good. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, just overall, I mean, should I go over some of the stuff that I read? Yeah, sure. Because off memory. So some, so one of the things I know is they're going to have a 20% pay increase over a three-year time period. And that's to basically offset inflation and, you know, the rising costs and just normal living because, you know, I don't know when was the last time these guys had a contract signed um, with their pay to reflect the current, you know, current economy. But, you know, that's huge. I mean, ours last was signed back in, what, 2013? So we are almost 10 years behind just on our, our contract. So uh, things have changed. You know, gas prices are $4.50 today. Probably back in 2013, they were probably $2. So, you know, we need to be compensated differently. Anyway, um, one of the other things that they agreed to was positive space deadheading yeah. to and from work trips. Can you imagine? So no more calling in sick. You know, you're going to get to work. No more commuter policy. I mean, unless that flight cancels, you've got a guaranteed right. seat. Yeah, so people are going to show up for work. You're not going to have trips go into open time or to reserves or, you know, schedules get blown out of proportion because guys can't make it to work because the, the flights are full. So, you know, that's that's pretty good. Um, what were some of the other things that they had? Uh, there's was, there was one or two other really good stuff in there. I'll have to just kind of try to remember what they were. But anyway, what the, the nice thing about this for us is that you know, now our company will have this as a reference, as a kind of standard now to kind of go, you know, go with to the table when they negotiate with management because this is now the standard. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, it. it's amazing that the industry average index or the IAI is what any contract negotiator will use as a baseline for a future contract. Um, we're mm-hmm. going to talk a little bit about United's quick take and much more right after the break. And welcome back. We've been talking with Rob D. about the mandatory retirement age increase potentially coming uh, sooner than later. Uh, Potentially the lower minimums for an ATP from 1,500 hours down to as low as 750 hours if that legislation passes uh, soon. And most recently, we were discussing the United Airlines Agreement in Principle. Now, once we get more information on the exact language, uh, we'll be sure to pass that along. But we wanted to do a quick take on United Airlines. They are currently uh, hiring. And they're, as everybody is, they're hiring first officers. Classes are scheduled for every Tuesday. They expect 70 new hires per class. Aviate interviews and selections are going on. That's the uh, United's wholly owned school, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, minimums are 1,000 hours of fixed wing turbine time. New hires can expect all fleets, which include the Boeing 737, the Airbus A320, the 7576, the 787, and the 777 aircraft. All bases can potentially be offered to new hires, which include San Francisco, Newark, Los Angeles, and Washington Reagan being the more junior of the bases. Uh, Chicago, Houston, Denver, and Cleveland, uh, also Guam, have been offered to new hires as well. So nice. you can apply online. Uh, just go to United Airlines, I believe, dot com uh, or UnitedAviate.com if you're looking at uh, future pilot positions and you're not quite ready to go. Uh, they have no furloughs, the first class deadheads to class. Uh, the contract, wa- the previous contract was uh, amendable on the 31st of January 2019. So this agreement in principle has been long overdue. Uh, they're anticipating 10,000 pilot new hires in the next 10 years. So wow. by my math, that's about 1,000 new hire pilots expected at United that year. A year. year. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. So, hey, if you're looking at uh, a future, I mean, most people, by the time they get their private pilot license and they decide this is the career for them and start looking at flight schools, they usually know already their preference yeah. on where to go but yeah and right now it's a buyer's market so <laughs> it's a pilot's market you can pretty much go wherever you can if you have the uh, time and the experience yeah now we mentioned in the article ceo scott kirby and i think it's important you know in this industry to know your roots and know who's at the helm the leadership Yep. And a lot of times yep. we know the name and we hear the rumors, but we don't ever really do the work and find out a little bit about that. So Rob and I just wanted to spend a moment and discuss Scott Kirby of United Airlines. Early in his career, Kirby worked at the Pentagon as a budget analyst for the United States Secretary of Defense for three years. He later worked for Sabre Decision Technologies, a subsidiary of AMR Corporation within the tourism and transportation industries. Kirby joined America West Airlines in 1995, initially serving as a senior director of scheduling and planning, and later as vice president of planning in 1997, vice president of revenue management in 1998, senior vice president of the company's computer program system in 2000, and executive vice president Kirby began serving as president of U.S. Airways in September of 2006. After the two airlines merged in 2005, he led U.S. Airways' team for planning the merger, U.S. Airways and America West. He also oversaw daily operations as well as marketing and sales strategies for his role as president. Kirby became the president of American Airlines after the company merged with U.S. Airways in 2013. He and American Airlines Chief Executive Officer Doug Parker worked closely together at America West, U.S. Airways, and American. Kirby became president of United Airlines in August of 2016. He was announced as a successor to the CEO role in December 2019, 2019, following Oscar Munoz, his tenure started in May 2020. 
Kirby has been credited with expanding the airline's flight network and restructuring hubs in Chicago, Denver, and Houston. In December 2020, Kirby was elected as chairman of the Star Alliance Chief Executive Board, succeeding former chairman Pedro Heilbrunn. In August of 2021, Kirby told Exios about his decision to mandate that all United employees get the COVID-19 vaccine, saying that he had dozens of employees die from COVID and 100% of them are unvaccinated. So Kirby has uh, had a history with other airlines. I mean, he's worked for, by my count, four airlines now. Uh, in America West, U.S. Air, American, and United. United now, yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's he's a high roller. John Scott Kirby, age 54, educated from the United States Air Force Academy, George Washington University, and he is a business executive. So good to know who the boss is, especially if you're going yeah. for an interview. You might want to just Wikipedia some of the, <laughs> the people that are running the company before you go for your initial interview. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. You know, Rob, you and I were talking about this the other day. Um, I think uh, I was asking my friends, hey, do you guys wear sunscreen on the flight deck? I've been told, you got to wear sunscreen when you're at work, especially on the flight deck and all this. And I got to admit, I was kind of haphazardly putting on sunscreen uh, on my arms and my face, um, but not consistently. And yeah. I only in the past few years have I been consistent with it. I actually have sunscreen for my face um, and for my arms and hands because we are exposed uh, not just to the sun's rays, but to uh, you know, five, six miles over the sur- surface of the earth, we're exposed to much stronger UV rays. Now, mm. all the Airbus and Boeing manufacturers you know, tote that their windows and their windshields are all coated with UV protection. Yeah, I'm sure it's true, but why is it then that pilots are in some cases four times more likely to coming down with cancer. I haven't read the article, but I can only speculate it has to do with the ozone layer, ozone yeah. concentration. So one of the really cool websites that I, that I read a few articles from every week is defense1.com. Mm-hmm. And they had a, a very compelling article that, for whatever reason, was on social media, and I clicked on it, and I, and I came to this, and I, and I was quite shocked. And it's mm-hmm. entitled, Cancer Strikes U.S. Fighter Pilots, Crews at Higher Risk, Air Force Fines. Nearly 30% higher likelihood of testicular cancer and roughly 25% for skin and prostate cancer, according to the military's most comprehensive study yet. This was an article that was posted on October 24th, 2021 by Tara Kopp, Senior Pentagon Reporter and Defense One Reporter. Uh, do you have that link? Yeah, I'm reading it now, and I was just getting to like the beef of it, where it says possible causes mm-hmm. at the bottom. So basically, it goes. The article, in summary, basically talks about um, you know percentages of military fighter pilots that have uh, um, been 
what I'd say diagnosed with cancer and it's, it's pretty high. And, uh, the possible causes they said, here's the, here's the, the paragraph where it talks about possible causes. Having identified that fighter aviators suffered statistically greater rates of certain cancers, the Air Force must now try to decipher what the cause may be. Researchers have highlighted six potential exposures ex- associated with fighter aviation. And actually, we should put that into like, you know, airline aviation because mm-hmm. we can, we're definitely in the same kind of boat. Yeah. Uh, the first one is galactic cosmic radiation. I think that's kind of like ozone concentration, Mm -hmm. Uh, radium and other isotopes, ultraviolet radiation, Mm -hmm. radar radiation, (laughs) jet fuel. Yeah. Really? And mechanical forces as potential factors, but it has not measured or compared these exposures or measured other lifestyle or behavioral risks. So, yeah, it's pretty. I mean, we're we're pretty much exposed to a lot a lot of that stuff. And now that I think about it, I have my whole life. You know, ever since I was a young adult, just working out on the flight line. I mean, yeah, I don't know how many times I got doused with JPA or hydraulic fluid. Uh, the F one eleven EF one eleven I used to work on was a radar jamming airplane, so it had very very powerful microwave antennas and yeah. And all these things. And I've actually witnessed, and I'd said this on an earlier podcast, I've actually witnessed a worker get thrown off the top of an airplane when a maintenance worker actually active, uh, accidentally activated the uh, radar jamming equipment on the airplane. And the guy basically looks like he was being influenced by an external force. He just basically just fell off the airplane from the force. Wow. Uh, it's very powerful, but I'm sure that guy <laughs> all joking, uh, being, being a jokester, I am, I'm sure that guy can't have any kids anymore, but <laughs> 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 probably neutralized. Or maybe his kids glow in the dark. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe Next generation Marvel comics. Maybe. Yeah. Right on dude. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, that's serious stuff, dude. You know, and, and we talked about the dangers on the ramp before. We've talked about, you know, wearing your safety vest, ear protection. We we even did a segment about how many decibels uh, do you encounter on your walk around. So how important is it? Yeah. I know it's a pain in the butt to stick an earplug in your ear to just to do a walk around. It's going to take only a few minutes, but... Mm-hmm. All these all these factors are important. And exposure, you know, if they're fueling the fuel truck, don't go over there and sniff it. I mean, God, I love the jets, uh, the smell of Jet A yeah. in the morning, too. But, yeah, yeah it's, it's all this stuff. Yeah. Now, the CDC. Okay. Oh, here the, we go the with most, them again. The most respected <laughs> organization on the planet, the CDC, oh, yeah. right? Well, actually, in all seriousness, they do have air crew safety and health risks or cancer on their website and you can read it i'll put a link in the show notes um and it tells you as an air crew member what you may need to know um it says that uh, you have a more likely chance to get skin cancer for female flight attendants they are more likely to get breast cancer than the general population um and you know these are relatively disturbing Facts and figures. You know, air crews are exposed yeah. to elevated levels of, like you mentioned, cosmic iodized or ionized radiation, 
and circadian rhythm disruption from traveling mm. across time zones and working when others would normally be asleep. Really? Yeah. I did. This is interesting. Ionizing radiation <laughs> is known to cause cancer. Some studies suggest that circadian rhythm disruption may also cause cancer. Oh my! Oh man! God, we are doomed. <laughs> I better. I better get to sleep. <laughs> Every pilot that I know has a what's what's circadian rhythm? Ha! Based on the oh, air crew man. research, the crew members are more at risk for skin cancer. From all the uh, issues that we talked about earlier, the melanoma and other types of skin cancer, breast cancer, studies also show that female flight attendants are more likely to be diagnosed with that. And Kaposi sarcoma and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, studies have found that male flight attendants have an increased risk of Kaposi sarcoma and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. HIV infection is a risk factor for both of those. So those that, that have been diagnosed with HIV AIDS uh, may be more likely to come down with these uh, these uh, cancers. So because smoking used to be allowed on planes years ago, there's concern about health effects among crew members who were exposed to secondhand smoke when they were flying back then. So those senior mamas, if they're still kicking, yeah, they're good on them. They're tough. <laughs> <laughs> What's not known, though, is why air crew are more likely to be diagnosed with melanoma and skin cancer than the general population. It could be UV, radio, uh, UV radiation levels or in exposures due to elevation and all that. The circadian rhythm is a major factor that I didn't know about. Differences in non-work-related risk factors as well. So, you know, know the risk. The main thing you can do to yeah. combat it is stay healthy. Keep at a healthy weight, exercise regularly, get enough sleep, don't drink alcohol or limit alcohol to no more than one per day, avoid exposure to chemicals that can cause cancer, try to reduce your exposure to radiation during medical tests like that, all that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And if you've been told to take hormone replacement therapy, which I believe testosterone boosting shots are, for those older gentlemen mm -hmm. out there, you know who you are, oral comprehensive or birth control may also elevate your risk. So yeah, pilots and cancer, know the risk. Uh, again, CDC, you can go right to their website and check it out and there'll be a link in the show notes. Very good. The final story that we wanted to talk about today is the story that Rob had brought to us about winglets falling off airplanes. And I what? thought he was joking, but no. It actually happened. According to FlightGlobal.com, in an article posted on the 16th of May by David Kamiski-Moro, the Brazilian authorities have ordered the Embraer 175 operators to conduct urgent checks for wingtip cracks following the in-flight loss of a winglet on the variant. Civil Aviation Regulators, ANAC, says that it is possibly of crack development on the wingtip a connection area. So it's possibly that uh, cracks that have been developed that caused mm -hmm. this thing to, to fall off on a, on a flight recently. Uh, this yep. can affect the structural integrity and uh, to the point of an in-flight detachment being possible. And it adds to an emergency directive. One of the U.S. regional operator Envoy Air's Embraer 175 suffered the loss of its right-hand winglet during a domestic service between Charleston and Dallas on the 3rd of May of this year. 
even if the aircraft maintains sufficient controllability for a safe continuation of the flight, there is a possibility that the detached part may damage other aircraft parts affecting controllability, says the directive. It adds that a separated structure could damage individuals or property on the ground. Yeah, that's a yeah, pretty obvious. Operators of Embraer 175 with specific right and left hand wingtip spars, which have not incorporated a particular Embraer service bulletin, are required to inspect the aircraft with an interval which depends on the number of flight hours accumulated by the jet. Of the four intervals specified, the strictest within the next 10 flight hours is for aircraft with 19,800 hours or more since spar installation. Checks required include a detailed inspection of the spar and wingtip in the area of their connections to establish whether there is evidence of cracking. The directive also includes a revision of the inspection intervals threshold to 1,000 hours. So hmm. every thousand hours, they got to look at you know, it. You were telling yep. me that the, you were telling me that the crew of this uh, particular flight did a great job and came back, landed safely. What more do you know about it? Well, I'll let, I know that that day that these um, airmen were flying this aircraft was uh, known as a very, very turbulent afternoon. I think there was some weather systems that were moving across the country and turbulence was very, very prominent in the region. And I know that they de- they uh, stated that they hit severe turbulence. And, um, you know, I, I don't remember what the criteria is for severe turbulence, but parts falling off the airplane um, probably meets that criteria. Well, they should and, add that uh, to it. And, you know, loss of operational <laughs> control is is yeah. part of that criteria. But yeah, one of them parts sure. falling yeah. off. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. So uh, they they uh, they declared an emergency and landing landed the aircraft without any further incident. Landed safely. Like the article says, you know, it it's not going to, um, you know, the the winglet, you know, falling off the airplane is not going to make the airplane crash. Obviously, it does does uh do a little bit of a number on its performance characteristics because the winglet is designed to uh, reduce the drag and everything um, for performance wise. But like the article said, and like you read out loud, you know, it could have damaged other parts of the airplane and, you know, other parts could fall off as a result of the damage that this winglet um, has, you know, created. And uh, obviously people and property could be hurt or damaged on the, on the ground. So, you know, that we don't want that to happen. And obviously they need to take care of that and find or find find and or fix the problem. Um, you know, as you can, but, um, you know, the plane, as far as operationally, this particular instance, obviously there's nothing wrong with the airplane. Uh, it probably landed just like any other airplane did. Probably had the same sensations and feels and performance um, as any other airplane. You, you know, you're not going to get an indication that the uh, the winglet's gone <laughs> in the cockpit. Maybe other than you get a trip circuit breaker saying your navigation lights have uh, aren't working anymore <laughs> yeah. because those lights have just departed the airplane. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, kudos to that aircrew. Hit turbulence, declared an emergency, landed, found the nearest suitable airport, landed the airplane, 
And uh, I think there was a there was a flight aware that that you know kind of uh, outlined their uh, their flight path, and you could see them kind of do a three sixty turn around, and mm. I think they had to do like a racetrack pattern, probably in a descent, or maybe to run the checklist to uh, get everything ready to land and uh, see them land into Birmingham. So yeah. nice job, dudes. Yeah, that was awesome. Very, very, very fantastic job. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. I wish I knew what happened that one day at that Grand Canyon place. <laughs> nice. <laughs> whoa. whoa, it's a meteorite. Whoa, check it out. That's cool. Oh, man, look at you. You're probably made out of some precious metal and everyone's going to want you but you want to be with me right on you're joe me and i'm joe dirt Funny. <laughs> you ever carry out a blue piece of frozen shit uh, just, uh, well ladies and gentlemen wow. that wraps up the show this evening i'm looking at rob and and he's got one eye open and his circadian rhythm is off and we don't want to have him uh, increase his risk of cancer so why don't y'all get to get bed <laughs> right quick tell you what Rob that's right my circadian rhythm is being thrown off by this podcast but <laughs> that's correct god this podcast caused cancer hey allegedly <laughs> well I just want to say thank you to Rob D for joining us today taking the time out of his yeah. rest from his layover in uh, Chicago I, you know, I've got two weeks vacation now so I think, uh, I think I might take a little trip out there who knows there you go I also want to say thank you for all of you out there that are helping us out by sharing this podcast with your friends and be sure to subscribe and follow to the Squawk Out End podcast on whatever platform you're listening on we also love receiving receiving we also love receiving listener feedback so you can send us an email or even an audio feedback and send it to us you can go right to our website for the link at www.aviatortony.com that's alpha victor the number eight romeo tango oscar number yankee.com there you will find uh, audio archives photos from the flight line the guest book photo tab uh, where some of our featured guests have been gracious enough to share some photos from their aviation journey with us uh, there's also a pilot shop. You can check out some of the Squawk Ident swag that's out there. Um, also, you can contribute financially to our show right from our homepage. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can follow us under Squawk Ident Podcast or Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident. And I just want to say thank you to all of you for listening to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. See ya. <gasps> Check it in. Check it in. Which you? Which you? Which you? Which you? Three point five for five point five. Roger. There is the button. There it is.
What's our vector, Victor? It's an entirely different kind of flying. 